hearts have a special prayer that the Lord will put in and graft into our hearts quickly. If you don't have a handout, could you raise your hand, please? What a powerful move of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. I'll take it. I'll take it any day. Thank you so much. You can just keep those. If you see someone come in, you can just hand them to them. That'd be great. How many of you are thankful for the Word of God? No matter what we face, no matter what situation we have, we know that there is an answer in the Word of God. No matter how difficult the topic or difficult the issue, there are always answers in the Word. And tonight is no different. Because tonight's topic is not an easy one, but it's going to be one that we're going to cover in great detail throughout the word tonight. So we have nothing to fear. We just simply take our difficulties, we bring them to the word, and we let the word of God lead us and guide us and direct us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Praise God. I want to lean upon the word of God tonight and let it do its intended work. You feel the same way? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. All right. So we're going to get into it. As human beings, we face certain obstacles. Okay? Poet and civil rights activist Maya Angelou, she said, I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. Have you got anybody ever heard that before? I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. And essentially what she's saying is we all bleed red. Okay, we all are capable of love. We all are capable of hate. If it is human, then it cannot be alien to me because I am a human being. Right? If it's within the realm of humanity, then I am capable of it. But how many of you know we as the church, the called out people, the set-apart ecclesia, we face certain challenges as the church as well. It's not just humanity, but then as the church, we face, we face issues as well. We are not to align our thoughts with the world government. We're not to align our conduct according to the world culture. We are to be aligned with the word of God in our hearts and in our minds. So if we look at Romans 12 and 2, it instructs us, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, how many of you have a struggle doing that? I do from time to time. I'm like, oh, Sister Candy, you are out of alignment with the word. Get in a prayer meeting. Give him all your blah, 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 and then align with the word of God. Sometimes that's what we have to do right? <clears throat> I find myself reading the word and I'm like, ooh, candy, that, that, I felt that right there. Or I felt that right there. <laughs> and I know that I have to align with the word. I live in the world. I take in stimuli through the world, through our eyes and through our ears. And we can develop a world culture very easily. Not only a world culture, but we can develop an American culture very easily. But we're not called to live like that. We're not called to live like that. We are going to shine the light 
of the truth of God's word about a biblical principle tonight that our world would like to shape in our lives. And that is the topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness. As Christians, we are constantly bombarded with the worldview of forgiveness. But especially if you work in the workplace, I mean, I've worked in the workplace from the time I was 16 until the Lord delivered me from 2015. <clears throat> it's difficult. It is difficult. You go in on Monday morning and you've experienced the glory of God. And the last thing you want to hear is everything everybody has got to say about their weekend and so on. If you, if you work in the world, I want you to know that I understand how those cultures can try to sneak in, especially about forgiveness. We are encouraged through a worldview to hold our hurt higher than what the biblical principle of forgiveness is. It sounds a lot like this. I may forgive, but I'll never forget. A worldview says, I'll forgive you when you owe me. But you owe me, right? Little issues become big situations. Big situations become monumental setbacks. Or maybe it really is a big issue. And big offenses, they are <clears throat> when they're not forgiven, they also become monumental setbacks in the lives of believers. How many of you ever felt any of those statements? <laughs> I'll forgive you, but yeah, or you owe me, right? We feel these statements, right? Let's look at the Word of God. Matthew 6, 14, and 15. For if you forgive men your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I believe most of us in this room, we have heard the scripture at one point or another. Jesus says, if you, if, if, if you forgive, I'll forgive. But if you don't forgive, I won't. Now, if you're using any kind of logic, if you're using your logical mind, you are dosing out forgiveness at every turn. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Because if we use our logic, he says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So it's super easy, like when you use your logical mind to forgive. But how many of us know that is not always the case? That is not always the case. We have a logical mind. The book says it very clearly. You would think that it would be a little bit easier. I believe that Christians, dare I say apostolics, they struggle to forgive for several reasons. But I don't believe it's because it's what they see in their mind. I think it's what they feel in their emotions attached to the offense. Okay? All right, let's look at four or yeah, four worldviews of forgiveness. Boy, this is fast. Woo! If I sound short of breath, you know why. All right, four worldviews. If I forgive, it diminishes or denies the seriousness of the sin or the offense committed against me. If I forgive, it lets the offender off the hook too easily. Forgiveness places too much responsibility on me instead of the one who committed the offense or the wrongdoing. Why do I have to do something when I'm not guilty? I'm the victim. And forgiveness is unfair. I shouldn't have to forgive. How many of you have ever felt those statements to be true? 
Absolutely. Sure, we all have. Because remember, if you are human, then nothing human can be alien to you or to me. So we, got, we go to God and we pray like this, God, why aren't you taking what they did to me seriously? Why haven't you stricken them with leprosy or killed them by now? <laughs> why haven't you, why'd you let them off the hook so easily? Why are you requiring of me what you need to be requiring of them? But God, this is so unfair. Oftentimes, we can leave a prayer meeting feeling no relief and unable to forgive. Why did we pray? <laughs> All right. How do we reconcile what we feel with the scripture that says you have to forgive? Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Don't forgive and you won't. It's not the logic that ties us up. It's our emotions, right? <clears throat> yes, we have a brain. Our brain clearly shows us we need to forgive. But we have to submit our emotions to truth in order to reconcile our hearts and our minds to Christ Jesus and his word. We must submit our emotions to truth in order to reconcile our hearts and our minds to Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, there are going to be those who flat out refuse to forgive. Okay? That's humanity. Okay, if people want to be bitter, they want to be broken, sometimes people are going to flunk out of the forgiveness class. That happens, right? But I believe there's a larger percentage of people who say, I just don't know how to align my emotions with prayers of faith instead of prayers of pity to reach the place of forgiveness. I think there's a larger percentage of people who just don't know how to align their emotions with prayers of faith instead of prayers of pity to reach the place of forgiveness. <clears throat> All right. Let's go back to the reasons that we're unable to forgive. Myth number one, forgiveness denies the seriousness of the sin. We, many people believe that by forgiving, then we're denying the severity of the offense. Like we're saying what our offender did wasn't wrong or it didn't really matter. And that's simply not the truth. Forgiveness does not trivialize our pain. Okay? Offenses are painful. Offenses cause endorphins in humans. You're either going to fight, you're going to fly, or you're going to freeze. Okay? As humans, we either bottle up, we blow up, or we isolate. Our emotions are very real, and they can be very raw. But forgiveness does not trivialize our pain, just like God does not trivialize our sin. Look at Nahum verses 1 and 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. If you look at that in the NLT, it says the Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He never lets the guilty go unpunished. God's mercy cannot override his holiness. He does not casually declare that sinners go free and that unrighteousness doesn't have consequences, right? Our sinful offenses and the sinful offenses of others demand a payment. And he took that on Calvary to accomplish it. All right, if God finds it impossible to just look, overlook sin against him, 
why would he expect us to just overlook the serious hurts inflicted by others? Sin creates an obligation, and somebody's got to pay. Okay? I don't believe that God expects us just to gloss over the offense that's been done to us, but having a worldview of forgiveness places the payment upon the one who did the offending and says, you owe me. Does that make sense? Myth number two, forgiveness lets people off the hook too easily. One of the most basic hindrances to forgiveness is fear of further abuse. We have legitimate concerns that forgiving our offender will give them permission to hurt us more deeply. Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly, but could that be a legitimate fear, the consequence of forgiveness, that prompted Peter's question to Jesus? Look at this, Matthew 8, 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often do I have to forgive someone that sins against me seven times? Now, what you have to know is that the leaders in that time, it was custom for them to preach that you had to forgive someone three times of the same offense. Okay, so isn't Peter doing a great job by saying, Lord, should I forgive them more than double of what our worldview says? Right? But when we have a worldview, it can be difficult to forgive. When we have the obligation, we feel it's an obligation to let people off the hook. We don't want to forgive. Amen. Let's look at myth number three. Forgiveness places too much responsibility on the victim or the one who was offended. Now, there's a convincing argument that can be made for the fact that when we ask the victim to let go of their pain, that we're denying justice and we're just putting too much responsibility on the offended instead of the offender blaming the victim instead of the victimizer. For example, say you come upon a car accident, someone is mangled and they're laying on the road, you look at the person who's laying there dying and you're like, get up and fix your own wounds. Driver, go ahead and go. That's kind of what it's like when we let the victim go, right? Why do I have to do something that the one who did it to me doesn't have to be responsible for? That worldview of forgiveness would make it seem unrealistic to put the burden of forgiveness on the victim. How could you ask me to let them go of something so serious that they did to me? Wouldn't that seem impossible? After all, I'm the victim, right? Myth number four, forgiveness is unfair. <clears throat> As we filter through the worldview of forgiveness, the bottom line is, is forgiveness feels unfair. It feels unfair. We contemplate the offense. We take them to court in our mind. Ooh, some of you are good lawyers. <laughs> you know I'm telling the truth, right? If we're created in the image of God and God is a God of justice, no matter how marred we may be, we still feel an internal need for justification. Don't be mad at that. That's a piece of God that lives inside of you. When we see a wrong committed, we instinctively know that it's unjust for it to go unpunished. That would not be fair. So ultimately, a worldview of forgiveness feels very unfair, right? These four reasons that we struggle to forgive arise from a basic misunderstanding about the concept of forgiveness. 
So before we define biblical forgiveness tonight, let's state what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denying the reality of our pain. Forgiveness is not letting the offender off the hook. Forgiveness is not blaming us, the victim. And forgiveness is not unfair. God cannot do anything unfair. Let's look at Romans 9.14. What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? God forbid. If you look that up in the Amplified, it says, what should we conclude? Is there any injustice on God's part? Certainly not. Forgiveness is not unfair. That's a very big worldview that would say it's unfair. If forgiveness is none of the above, then what is it? Okay, what is forgiveness then? If you take the translated word forgive, it carries the idea that we are, there's a type of obligation. Okay, there's an obligation in the word translated forgive. Jesus often illustrates this concept through the example of money. Let's look at Luke 41 through 42. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will, he love, will love him most? Now, the creditor chose to release both of the debtors of their very real obligation. It didn't matter who owed more. The money that they owed him was not a figment of his imagination. He had a legal right to be repaid. Right? The borrower had a legal obligation to pay. There was a deficit between their debt and their resources. They did not have the money to pay. All right? So I'm going to insert a personal story here. I would use your story, but I know mine better. So... All right? Now, I'm going to tell a personal story about me and my sweet mama. I'm going to give you a disclaimer. I can talk about her. You cannot. <laughs> okay? I love her, and I have permission to tell the story. And so I pray that you respect, love, and honor her as much as I do even after this story. <laughs> Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, life was not easy for both me and my mom. My dad had passed away. David and I learned we were expecting a baby without being married, and my mom was backslidden. My, <clears throat> as my mom continued to live outside of God's plan, by the grace of God, I had made it back to the cross and was trying to live a godly life. During this 10-year span of time, there were many wounds inflicted upon me by my mom, and it was very difficult to have a relationship with her for several reasons, but the most obvious was the difference in our lifestyles. So one day, I was praying, and I felt pain in my chest, okay? Now, I'm cardiac fine. I've been tested many times. This is how the Lord speaks to me about emotional pain. When I'm praying and I feel pain in my chest, I know the Lord is trying to reveal that I'm hurting somewhere emotionally, okay? So I said, God, I'm not getting out of this floor until you tell me why I'm in pain. And so the Lord spoke to me, and he said, when is the last time you prayed for your mom? 
And I'll just be transparent. I had stopped praying for her. It was easier not to pray, <laughs> just truthfully. It was easier not to pray. And I said, but God, she owes me an apology. There's restitution to be made. She should be the one praying for me. She should be the one rooting for my marriage. She should be the example of holiness. And the infraction list went on and on. Okay? God spoke to me, and he said, who do you think you are? She doesn't owe you any of that. She owes that to me. She owes it to me to be a godly mother. She owes it to me to be a supportive role in your life. She owes it to me to be holy and so on. So I'm telling you the fear of God hit me so hard, I was trembling underneath the weight of his righteousness and his justice, and I repented. And I asked God to take my pain because it's a real thing, okay? And God did. God took my pain. And then he said to me, you owe me too. And I said, what do I owe you? And he said, you owe me to pray for her. And you owe me to honor her. So, man, with every bit of Holy Ghost I had in me, I started praying, Lord, save my mom. God, remind her of the day she watched the baptistry and made peanut brittle and sold pizzas. And, Lord, I pray that you bring her back to every Saturday when she had the Bible study chart out on the kitchen table. God, I pray that you remind her of the prayer meetings that shook the gates of hell as I was a teenager. I mean, I went after it. I didn't care what had happened to me. I went after it. And then I said, God, I don't know how to honor her. I, I don't know what that means. How do you honor someone you disagree with? I, I don't know how. And so I had a prayer. I, I had a Bible study with myself. <laughs> I, pro I promise you. I took out the word, honor your mother and father. Let's do a word study on it. The word honor means to consider them first. So now I'm in a season where this back then, okay, what does it look like to put my mom before myself? What does that look like? How do I honor her? I don't have to agree with her at that time. I didn't have to agree with things that are unrighteous or unholy, but I had to honor her. Mom, we're having a family dinner. Where would you like it, your house or my house? Mom, we're having Christmas dinner. You want turkey, you want ham. Mom, the dishes need to be done. You want me to do them or you want me to make crust? <laughs> you know, it was my obligation to honor her, to serve her, to, to respect her, okay? I owed that to God on her behalf. God is serious about his word. He died to bring it to us, right? So how, how does forgiveness work? Man, I'm telling you, it was awesome. This is how I knew God was moving and heard my prayer. She called my daughter, and she said, I want you to put the Bible on my iPod. That's how long ago it's been. She said, because my eyesight isn't what it used to be, and I wanted to start hearing the word of God again. And I can't tell you the rejoicing that came over my heart when I said, God, you answered my prayer. I'm in right alignment with you, and I'm in right alignment with, with, with my mother, okay, after years of hurt. So I was able to receive forgiveness from God and extend it to her over very real pain, very real pain. Now, God has saved her. He has renewed her desire for truth. And he forgave me, and I was able to forgive her. 
We have a little exercise tonight. I've asked Sister Kim and Sister Kyra to help me. This is going to help. Um, this is going to help bring home the principle that I'm speaking of. can take care of this. I already took care of this on the cross. So here's the $10 for being lied about. Here's the 25 because she lied about your family. Here's the 10 for the gossip. Here's the 10 because she ignored your kids. And then when she shut the face, the door in your face, that's the 722. I always have exactly what you need. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. You can put that money back in here. <laughs> That's what God does. That's what he already did. That's what he already did. All right, moving quickly, let's go to the word of God, okay? The word offers relief for the debts not only that we owe, but also for the debts that others owe us, okay? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah 53 and 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. If we look closely at these scriptures, when we see there is an obligation, a penalty, a wage, something owed, but he was beaten for those wages. He was bruised to cover our obligation. Not only the obligation that we owe, but the sin that was done against us. 
It says the chastisement or the correction or the discipline or the punishment that we deserved and that others deserved was upon him that we could have healing, right? What he did on that day brought about healing, not only from what we did, but from what others have done to us. I am human. Nothing human can be alien to me. If God created me, he came down and he was uh, born of a virgin and he took on human form to heal me, then I indeed have the ability to forgive not because of any righteousness of my own, but because he stood in my place taking the reproach of all mankind. He's that good. He's that big. He's that wonderful. He's that just. He's that kind. He's that loving. He's that perfect. His blood is bigger. His blood is bigger than what you have done. His blood is bigger than what has been done to you, to me. Oh, he's just that good. So let's look back at the reasons why we struggle to forgive, and let's put the worldview aside, and let's take on the mind of Christ. Forgiveness denies the seriousness of sin. I believe we've made it very clear that God is very serious about sin. He became flesh, was beaten, bruised, buried to show us how serious he was about sin, but also about our healing. Oh, it wasn't just about our sin, but it was about our healing. He took the wages of sin upon himself, and he offers us the opportunity to extend forgiveness to others because of what he did on the cross. Forgiveness is the only way to settle the debt. It is the only way to settle the debt. The truth is that very few who have sinned against us have the resources to repay us anyway. Think of, I think of what I've done to others, just truthfully and transparently. I think of the pain I have inflicted on others. I cannot pay that. I was stupid. I was young. I was foolish. I was dumb. I was a sinner. Name it, name it, name it. I don't have what it takes to repay people's emotions for that, and neither do you. But Jesus Christ did that for us. Forgiveness is the only way to break the cycle of debt and of hurt. <clears throat> if I forgive, it lets the offender off too easily. I think you would agree there was nothing easy about the cross. From the garden of Gethsemane to the mockery of a trial to the scourging for our sin, the whip, the crown of thorns, there was nothing easy about Calvary. When we extend forgiveness, it frees us to get on with our lives. Jesus restrained nothing when he gave his life on the cross. Every dimension of his being was affected by Calvary. And I believe that's why the Bible tells us to be limitless in our attitude as it applies to dimensions of forgiveness that we should extend to others. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, Jesus said, put off that worldly mindset. I say unto you, until 70 times, but not 70 times, but until 70 times 7. 70 times 7. I'm going to omit the story, but many of you know my husband had a gambling addiction when we were first married, and it was, I forgive you. Well, at first it was a worldly mindset, man, really bad, okay? But when I started to speak life, 
that, honey, that's not who you are. I forgive you. He'd come back. I did it again. Honey, that's not who you are. I forgive you. Come back again. Honey, that's not who you are. I forgive you. When you live with the I forgiveth attitude, I'm telling you, it is refreshing. And when you speak life over those that have hurt you, life happens. Because the power of life and death is in the tongue. Amen. Number three, forgiveness places too much responsibility on the victim. I know the pain of being a victim. But when I view my pain in light of the cross, it diminishes. Okay? If there was a victim, it was Jesus Christ who took on all the sin of humanity in order to bring about our healing. He didn't ask us to take the 39 stripes. He didn't ask us for the crown of thorns. He simply asks us to take advantage of what we, he made available, which in turn frees us from the bondage of unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. Forgiveness is the antidote for the needless suffering. Amen. So what is our responsibility? Let's look at Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Everybody good? I know I'm flying. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not after, excuse me, as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Stop having a worldview. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They walk after their emotions and not after the word. Verse 19, who being past feeling, ha, their past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. If you want to see what happens to those who refuse to take on the mind of Christ, you just read it right there. Sister Vera, isn't it true? It is very true. They're past their feeling. They don't want to submit their feelings to the Lord. They don't want to submit. This is what they do. They turn themselves over because they cannot even see. They do the lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They have, But you have not learned of Christ. If so be, if you have learned of Christ um, and been taught of him, the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Think like Christ. And that ye put on the new man, which is after God, created in righteousness and true holiness. Here's how you know if you've done that. You put away lying and you speak truth with your neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Unforgiving people are the most wrathful people you ever wanted to see. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that steal, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may give to him that has a need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out your mouth, but that which is you is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. People who refuse to forgive, they have some of the most corrupt communication. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind 
one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The truth about forgiveness is forgiveness is the only way to settle the debt. Forgiveness frees us and allows us to get on with our life. I never see people who are bitter and unforgiving do great things for God. They don't. Amen to that. Forgiveness is the antidote needed for endless suffering. For forgiveness is the obligation of the believer. Forgiveness isn't a one-time action of the heart, but a continual choice of your will. Forgiveness is surrendering the right to hurt others because you were hurt. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. Okay? Now, I've got two minutes for practical application. Oh. All right. I got five. Okay. All right. How do we live out the Bible view of forgiveness in practical ways? All right. Logically, you understand that we should be forgiving. If you use your logical mind, he said, forgive and you'll be forgiven. But here's what happens. The emotion gets in the way. Number one, you've got to process your emotions. Emotions are given us to God, from God for a reason. They can be used for their intended purpose. No one is telling you that your pain isn't real, and no one expects you to act like it don't hurt. But there is something you need to do with the hurt. Hebrews 12 and 3, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. For consider him, Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against yourself, against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. So the first thing we need to do in processing our emotions is look to the cross. When a sin or an offense happens to us, we need to first look to Jesus Christ. Then we've got to own our emotions, own the pain, face it. Realize being in pain is not a reflection of your wrongdoing, but the wrongdoing of others, and give that pain to Jesus Christ. When you study it out, if we do not look to Jesus, you will become weary and faint in your mind. Now, we have contradictions of sinners against ourselves, right? It happens. The sinners sin against us. We endure that. We look to the cross, lest we become weary and faint in our mind. If you study that out, you'll become mentally ill. If you constantly elevate your offense and you don't look to Jesus Christ and endure that contradiction of sinners, you will become mentally ill. It's in the book. You study that out. All right. So when I measure the offense done to me with the cross of Jesus Christ, my offense diminishes. Okay? The offense against me diminishes. All right. When we walk in proper alignment with the word regarding forgiveness, some things are not even worth your attention. Okay, Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is as one letting out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. You look at the NLT, beginning a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So drop the matter before the, the, the dispute breaks out. Proverbs 19 and 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. NLT, people with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Some infractions are not worth my time. Okay? Some offenses are not worth my energy. I'm just not going to give my mental and emotional energy to every little offense that rolls down the hill. Because, goodness, who's got energy for that? Some things I just defer, Jesus, you got it, and let it go, right? All right. When offenses that are serious come... Okay, some offenses ain't worth my time, but some are. All right, so offenses, after you go to the Lord and they, re they require further action, we have to follow the Bible. 
Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Remember, we're putting off the way the world tells us to forgive. Moreover, if your brother transgress against thee, go and tell his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, you've gained a brother. If he won't hear you, take one or two more with that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So first you go to the person respectfully, submitted, having a gracious conversation about the grievances. It's my experience that 99% of this stuff is miscommunication. Okay? And if you have a simple conversation, 99% of the time it fixes the issue pretty much right away. But if there is that 1% or 2%, you go get an elder, you get your spouse, you get someone that you trust spiritually, and you have them help mediate the conversation. Okay? I want to come. I tried to do it by myself. It didn't work out. Can you please help us? All right, and then if they still won't listen, on the rare occasion, very rare occasion, it's not resolved after that, we go to Pastor Anthony and Sister Michelle, and they will guide us from there, okay? If you find that you're a person who's constantly offended about something or towards someone, there's help for you as well. Maybe you recognize and you find yourself thinking bad thoughts about people constantly, constantly taking people to court in your mind. I would consider fasting. There is no better way to kill your flesh and take on the mind of Christ than through a dedicated time of consecration, prayer, reading the word, and fasting. But after you do that, and if you are still struggling, I would suggest connecting with a spiritual person that you trust, someone who will tell you the truth, even if it hurts you, okay? And give them the opportunity to share with you what they see in your life. Maybe you just need help um, getting your emotions right. Maybe you need help processing. Maybe you need um, to flee a situation. I, I don't know. But the point is, is that if it gets to that place, sometimes you need additional help, okay? <clears throat> it's possible to, you need help. Lastly, boundary setting. Just because you forgive does not mean you do not need to set um, proper boundaries. Mentally, emotionally, and physically, a counselor can help you set biblical boundaries and help you move past offense and live in the freedom of forgiveness. Brother Mitch, I did it in 34 minutes. <laughs> Woo! All right. Listen, there is no situation too difficult that there is not an answer in the word of God. There is not a situation that is too difficult that is not that there's not an answer in the word of God. I implore us as a body of Christ to take on the biblical view of forgiveness and set off the worldly mindset. Okay? All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. I do want to pray whatever portion of this uh, lesson tonight ministered to you. I pray that you would just ask God to engraft it into your heart. Lord, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the foundation of your word that never fails. God, your word is tried and your word is true. 